Most of the men I work with, they leave like this wake of destruction and this wake of brokenness because they don't have a solid, good definition. You can't become what you can't define. Everyone today is looking for a quick fix, how to get rich quick, how to be successful quick, um, how to become a man quickly. That's not how manhood works at all. Becoming a man is like wind carving a stone. It's a long, gradual, sometimes arduous process. It is a uphill climb. The problem is that most men are bringing a downhill effort, which is why they're not getting the results that they should be. This is The Hard Path with me, Chris Harper. How can they become a confident man and develop the necessary man skills, quote unquote. How do you do that? You don't have any positive role model around you that's like an Uncle Jake. He's got like the intellectuals. So, mm-hmm. you know, oh, my parents were college professors and they don't have any of these skills and they sit around and talk about philosophy. I can talk about philosophy well, but I can't fix my car. Yeah. So, what are you gonna do? Okay, this is real simple. Go do things. Mm-hmm. Go do things. Lift, start lifting weights, learning how to fight, run, hike, start building things, rewire things. They're, they're not impossible to do. It gives you the self-reliance, right? Yeah. Hey, I can fix my electrical outlet if That's I need key to. key right there. Everything's about self. The answer is always do more. And it's typically do more stuff that you don't know how to do or do more stuff that you don't want to do. When in reality, there is no there is no one size fits all to manhood and manliness. You know, we talk about all the time that The Rock and Kevin Hart are they're two completely different people, but they both starred in the same movie. Um, you can be a man and be a badass jujitsu black belt, absolutely, but you can also be a man and be a soft spoken poet and painter and designer like. What you do does not define your manliness, which is basically what Jocko and all these guys are teaching. They're teaching that what we do basically defines who we are, right? Whereas whereas I'm trying to say something different, who you are has already been defined by someone else, uh, mainly the greatest man to ever walk the planet, which is King Jesus. And And... It's not some sort of destination you're trying to get to. Manhood is not a destination you're trying to reach. It's a direction you're headed. And the question is, are you heading in the wrong direction or the right direction? You know, are you becoming more and more like the greatest man to ever exist? Are you becoming less and less like him? Um, And I, I tell you, if Jesus was here today, I don't think he'd be taking jujitsu. I just don't think he would. Um, I think he would do things like turn the other cheek. I think he would do things like uh, love his enemies. I think he would never avoid conflict, but in love he would speak truth into conflict. And, um, yeah, yeah, I don't think he would um, arm himself to the teeth with, with guns and bullets. I just... I just think he went about things differently, which is why he got different results. You know, 
I don't think we talk about that enough, man. Like the manhood principles and and the man instruction we get today, um, it's not producing different results. Like men are still losing, men are still failing, men are still being painted in a bad light. Um, you know, the Jocko Willinks are, are are no different today than the Spartans of yesterday. Um, the philosophy of Jordan Peterson is no different than the philosophy that was coming out of Greece and Rome. I mean, it's all repackaged. Uh, but you saw, you see where that stuff got us, right? The only direction, the only definition, the only real life that brings about good and brings about change is the one that King Jesus offers. And it's as men, when we look more and more like him, um, that's when we start to win. You know, that's when we start to see true transformation and change in our lives. And uh, we have to look to him. And I think one of the one of the main ways we do that is is basically um, by underestimating ourselves. I think I think underestimation is an art. You know, we live in a day and time as men um, where we're not only encouraged to brag about ourselves, but in a way, um, culture says we have to overproduce and overpromote ourselves if we're going to get anywhere. Right? We're nobody without a following. Um, we're nothing without status. We're no one if we're not popular. I mean, that's what we hear perpetuated in culture, which is crazy because think for a second about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Gentleness, self-control, patience, love, kindness. I'm not shocked by what's on the list of the fruit of the Spirit. I'm shocked by what didn't make the list. Success didn't make the list. Popularity didn't make the list. Intelligence didn't make the list, right? And yet those are the things as men we're striving after. We want to be successful and intelligent and well-liked. And, and those things, God is saying, those actually aren't the virtues you should be going after. No, it's meekness and gentleness and self-control and kindness and love and patience. Like, like those are the virtues you should be, you should be chasing after. So, um, you know, Jocko just said, uh, train yourself in physical strength. I think Jesus would say, train yourself in kindness. Um, learn jujitsu so uh, you know if you have to fight someone, you can win. Yeah. Jesus would say, or practice meekness, cultivate meekness. Um, you know, if somebody's in your way, if there's a wall in front of you, just run through the wall. Just tear the wall down brick by brick. Nothing can stop you. And then yet the Spirit says, uh, or you could be patient and maybe not, maybe not destroy yourself and others in the process. Right? So it's, it's completely adverse, right? It's completely different. And, and I think men are just constantly falling into the trap of culture and into the world of culture that I have to do more and be more and say more. And if people aren't liking me and listening to me and hearing me, then I'm nothing. And it's, it, it's a lie. It's a lie. You know, most of us, the majority of us are called to live average, faithful, obedient lives. And if that's not enough for you, then nothing will ever be enough for you. So I think one of the one of the things we need to cultivate and one of the things we need to do, especially the younger men that are listening, 
you need to start practicing the art of underestimating yourself. Um, most of everything you say, do, post, tweet, put out is an overestimation. Um, it's the best picture of you. It's the best meal you've ate. It's the best pump after a workout you just had. Uh, it's the best vacation you've been on. And it's just not reality. That's not your life. And it's certainly not the lives of everyone else you're looking at. Uh, but we're projecting this image of um, who we want to be or who we think we are, or who we should be. And in doing so, we almost lose our true self and who we, who we truly are. So, so we literally live in a time where, where everything is an exaggeration. Everything is exaggerated. And, and listen, no one, no one listening to this wrestles with this more than me. Um, there, there is always this small voice in my, in my head saying, Chris, say it louder. Chris, do it faster. Chris, go bigger, right? I used to have a poster on my wall that said, go big or go home. Uh, the reality is I went home a lot. <laughs> like, like, that's such bad advice. It, 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 it's not good. We're not... We're not called to go big all the time, um, uh, and unfortunately, that's what gets that's what gets propagated. So a lot of us are we live in a constant flux of disappointment, of excitement and disappointment, excitement and disappointment. Oh, I'm going to go big. Oh, I didn't go big. Oh, but I'm going to go. I didn't go big. Like it's just constant, and and we just end up disappointed all the time. So I think this idea of underestimating ourselves, right? Um, selling ourselves short, uh, not overly promoting ourselves um, so that others really can promote us. Um, you know, the place of honor should not be seized. It should be offered. Uh, I think about the parable that Jesus talks about when you go to a feast, when you go to a banquet, like don't take the seat of honor. Take the lowest seat so that the people, the people can look at you and say, no, 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 you come sit here. Like that's what you want. You want, you want a life of humility where, um, you know, you don't always have to project the things you've done or, or, or the things you're going to, right? Um, you know, I've always heard it said, people who are really good at something, they'll let you know. People who are really great at something, others will let you know. Like, that's where we want to be. Like, I'm not saying half-ass do everything. No, I'm saying, like, be great at something. You don't have to tell everybody about it all the time. If you're good at something, you, you're, you're probably quick to let other people know, man, I'm really good at this. But, but, man, the guys that I've met that are, like, great at things, I'm talking, like, great. You'll never hear them say it. They don't have time to because everybody else is always telling you how great they are. That's how great they are. Like, that's what you want um, um, as a young man, and it just takes time to get there. It takes hard work. You don't you don't go from from average to good to great overnight. I mean, that's a life of of cultivating and learning. You know, um, that's another thing about underestimating yourself. You should be in a perpetual state of learning. Um, anybody I I've, I've ever hired in my professional career. The number one thing I look for, I don't care what Ivy League school you went to. I don't care how successful you've been at your last place. Um, I don't care how witty or skillful or handsome you are. The number one thing I look for, is this person teachable? Period. Are you teachable? I am 
I am 41 years old, lead a large, large organization, um, you know, have a doctorate. And the number one thing people would tell you about me is I'm teachable. Like I'm still learning. I have not arrived. Um, there are men and women and people in this world that are far smarter than me, uh, far better than me at many things. And, and I have so much to learn. And that's the root of being a disciple. A disciple literally means learner. I'm a learner. I'm a learner of the way. If you're a disciple of Jesus, I'm learning about Jesus. Um, and a person that underestimates himself is, is teachable. A person that overestimates himself is not teachable. You know, you think about you think about Mark Driscoll. Everybody followed the Mark Driscoll story, right? Uh, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. One of the most famous lines in that story is they told Mark Driscoll, you know, you should get John Piper to help you. You should get John Piper to mentor you. And John Piper is a living legend, right? Probably one of the greatest men of God since the Apostle Paul. And, and, and Mark looked at his friends and said, John Piper can't mentor me. My church is bigger than his. I mean, how arrogant is that? Here's John Piper, a wise sage, twice his age, been around twice as long, has so much to offer Mark Driscoll, but because Mark's church is a little bigger than John's, Mark thinks he knows more. It's just super, super arrogant, Right? And, and obviously, you know, that and many other things led to his, to his fall. And, and, and I'm telling you that story, um, like I'm, I'm more closely related to that story than, than, than a lot of other people. You know, uh, in my career, um, I was basically offered the job at Mars Hill after Mark had left and, and really wrestled with that in my own self. Um, you know, the first church I ever pastored at was a mega church. Um, I was a church planner uh, leading and planting in one of the fastest growing church networks in the country, right? Um, the first eight years of my ministry was all about me. It was all about go bigger, go louder, um, be smarter than everyone in the room, be, be, be more witty, you know, be more winsome. And, and there was never this, there was never this sense to uh, lean on the Holy Spirit. There was never the sense to, to embrace weakness. I mean, think about that. Think about the Apostle Paul who says, like God's glory, like the true glory of God, the glory of the cross is made known in our weakness. When all we do is operate in our strengths, when all we do is do everything that we can do, we actually rob the cross of its power because it's in our weakness that he is made known, right? So, so years ago, before I'm a believer, um, I'm in college, I'm a freshman in college, and I'm taking public speaking. And after one of the classes, the professor, Dr. Ruth Wagner, I'll never forget this, Ruth Wagner asked me to stay after class, and she said, Chris, man, you really have a gift. You can communicate. You're winsome. People listen when you speak. She said, I think you're just making up half of everything you say. She said, you should really, really consider a career in law. Should be an attorney. And she said, do you know what mock trial is? And I said, Dr. Wagner, no. She said, well, our school, we're the national mock trial champions. We beat Harvard last year. She said, my husband is the, is the coach. I'd love to introduce you. And, and as a freshman in college, they welcomed me onto that mock trial team. They, 
uh, Jim and Ruth Wagner bought me my first suit. The first time I ever flew on an airplane was to go to Notre Dame to play Princeton in mock trial. Like it was crazy. So fast forward, uh, fast forward six years, I'm getting ready to pursue a career in law. Um, I get saved, right? The church, it's interesting. The church comes to me and tells me the same thing that Ruth Wagner told me six years earlier. They told me, you know what? You're super charismatic. You're super winsome. You can communicate. You should really be a pastor. Now, it's interesting. They told me the church said it was a spiritual gift. Ruth Wagner said it was a natural gift, right? Both are from God. The natural gifts and the spiritual gifts, both are from God. But because I spent the first eight years of my ministry leaning into my natural gifts, I was constantly robbing the cross of its power. I was constantly robbing Jesus of his glory, and it was all about me. I'm confessing right now the first eight years of my ministry, pastoring large churches, leading national movements, was nothing about the kingdom of God. It was all about building Chris Harper's platform, making, making um, um, my kingdom, right? Faster, smarter, louder. And it, and it wasn't till it wasn't till this Mars Hill deal that um, um, that the Lord really broke me. Right? Um, I wanted to take the job at Mars Hill. You know, um, I had idolized that whole deal, and and my wife basically said, "I'm not moving to Seattle." You know, uh, the Lord's not called us there. We're staying here and. I was super resentful and, and, and angry, but, but the reality was I'd just been leaning on my own strength and my own gifts for, for so many years. And, and it wasn't until recently, probably the last three, four, five years, that I've really learned that um, it's not about me, like that I need to underestimate myself, that any good thing that I have or gift of I have that's from the Lord, it's not from jujitsu training or reading books or, 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 or becoming stronger and smarter and faster like like if I do grow stronger and get smarter or get faster, which I'm not fast at all, like even that's a gift from the Lord. He allows that. And uh, it wasn't until I started leaning into that and leaning into my own underestimation that I truly began to be built up, that people started, instead of me chasing after it, like it started coming to me. People started coming to me for help and advice and with these different positions, which is actually giving me a bigger platform than the one I had when I was at the large church, which is crazy. Um, but because it was the way of the Lord, not the way of Chris, you know, it was it was special. So this idea of, of um, you know, looking like Jesus and following Jesus and underestimating ourselves is 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 huge. And you know, another thing I would tell you is we we all have different gifts and talents. Right, and there's this parable in the Bible, in the Gospels, the parable of the talents. Right, some are given one, some are given two, you know, some are given more. Um, and it's interesting; those who are faithful with the talents they're giving, um, the the reward is the same. The reward is well done, good and faithful servant. Whether you doubled it, whether you tripled it, no matter what you did with it, the reward is the same. So, so the problem with men, with a lot of men, is. We're not grateful for the talents we have. You know, a lot of young men, especially, they're they're three, four, five talent guys, and they're out here running around like they're eight, nine, ten talent guys, and they're not. Just not, right? And then you're pissed when when somebody else has more talent or more gifting than you, 
and you're constantly comparing yourself or you're constantly looking to that guy. And, and the reality is no, look, you were given five talents, like work those talents, be faithful with those talents. And then, and then if the Lord wills, like he'll add more to that, but he's not going to give you more if you're not faithful with what you have. If you can't, if you can't show him that you'll take those three talents and steward it well, if you can't show him that you'll take those four talents and 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 steward those talents well, he's certainly not going to give you six. He's not going to give you seven. And and even if he only gives you four and you faithfully work those four your entire life and get to the end of your life, that's enough. You'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So so do an honest um just appraisal of yourself, right? Um, the world tells you nonsense like you can be whatever you want to be. Like, like that's not true. Like not everybody can be an astronaut physically, mentally. Like you don't have the math skills to be an astronaut. Not everybody can be a, a maverick top gun fighter pilot. Some of you, you're, you're too tall. Like, like, Physically, you're, you're already ruled out because you're too tall. Some of you are too short. Like you can't even reach things in the cockpit. Like you, you're not going to make it. So like we all have limitations. Um, we can't be whatever we want to be. We can't do whatever we set our minds to. We, we all have social, mental, physical limitations. And, and the problem is when we, when we look down upon ourselves or we look down upon others because of those limitations. And it shouldn't be like that. Um, whether you have four talents, eight talents, or ten talents, like you're still valuable, you're still useful, um, um, you're still loved, and 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 you can still do good things uh, for the world. So, so man, have an honest appraisal of of where you're at. I'll never be John Piper. I'm not that good of a preacher. You know, John Piper is a ten talent preacher. You know, on my best sermon, I'm a seven talent preacher. Like, like I know that, but it doesn't make me doesn't make me mad. One, it makes me admire John Piper even more. And two, it makes me want to be the best seven talent preacher I could ever be. You know, um, um, so, so take an honest appraisal of, of where you are in life. And um, you don't have to be a black belt. God loves blue belts is just, just as much as he loved black belts. And, and blue belts are useful, just like a black belt is useful. So and then, and then another thing I would say about underestimating ourselves, and this is so counterculture, but it's it's this everybody, including me, we need to we need to stop talking about ourselves so much. These these media platforms and and these different positions um, has given everybody a voice, and and it's given everybody a voice to boost themselves, and and I'm seeing this everywhere, man. Like. Like we are constantly talking about ourselves and even in real conversations with real people, like I'll watch people, someone's talking and the other person's not even listening. They're just waiting for a break so that they can bring the conversation back to them. And we have got to stop talking about ourselves so much. Um, I have this practice that, that when I go into a room, I have two objectives. The first objective is I want to learn someone's story. Um, every day, I try to learn um, someone's story. Even today, this very day, I've actually learned um, um, some new things about someone, and it's been so encouraging. So, so every day, I'm trying to learn someone's story. 
The second thing, the second practice I'm trying to practice is um, when I'm talking with someone, I want them to feel like they're the most important person in the room. Like I've got a friend that genuinely has that superpower. Like when you're with him, you feel like you're the most important person in the room, and it is phenomenal. Uh, and I want to be like him. Like, like I try to do that. I want to be engaged. I want to make eye contact. I want to put my phone down. Like, um, um, I want to give you um, the attention you deserve. And, and I don't want to make it about me. Like, I want to genuinely know about you and learn about you and remember things uh, about you. Um, you do that by asking questions. As, as I get older, I've, I've learned to discover that one of the greatest um, tactics, one of the greatest uh, tricks of the trade is learn to ask good questions. Man, just learn to ask good questions uh, to people and about people so that you can, you can grow an understanding of who they are. And, and, and even if you're, if you're genuinely disinterested in people, if you just start practicing that, if you just start practicing going into every situation with the thought, man, I'm going to learn something new about someone or I'm going to try to make this conversation about them, over time what will happen is that practice will become a habit and that habit will turn into genuine interest. Like you will start to see your heart transform and you will be genuinely interested in others. Um, Fred Rogers was the absolute goat. Mr. Rogers, man, he was like this sweater-wearing gangster. The dude was phenomenal. Um, one of the kindest men ever on the planet. Most people don't know, but he kept a note in his back pocket his entire career. So every show he did, he had this note in his back pocket. And the note simply said, um, you can learn to love anyone once you know their story. Man, and his goal was just to learn their story. Man, learn about people. And, and you do that by talking about yourself less. You can't learn about others if you're constantly talking about you. You can't listen and hear from others if all they're hearing is about you, right? So it's just that art of, of you know, thinking about ourselves less, talking about ourselves less, showing interest in others until that becomes a, um, a genuine interest, right? And then, and then once that happens, you know, I think you move into that space of you start to really care about others. And you start to want the best for others to where, to where you can die to self and, and really promote their needs, promote their desires, promote their, their wants. And, and uh, man, that's just a beautiful, beautiful space to be in. As a practice in my own life, like the result has been reciprocated honor. And, and, and not that I do it to, to gain honor, but it's amazing when you, when you extend kindness to someone, how quick they are to extend kindness back to you. When you extend honor to someone, how quick they are to extend honor back to you. You know, when you extend graciousness and mercy and forgiveness to others, you know, you know how quick they are to, to extend that back to you. It really is almost like a reciprocating um, uh, relationship, you know. But, but, but even if it doesn't get reciprocated, like, like there have been times that I've respected people and honored people and been kind to people and it hasn't been reciprocated. You know, that's okay too. Uh, um, one, because I think God sees everything and, and he's going to honor that. Um, he's going to award that. But also because others see it. Like others see your motives. 
um, especially when you don't think anybody's watching, like they see it. And, and they'll know who you are. They'll know your character by the, by the way you treat people, specifically by, by the way you treat people who can't do anything for you. That's key. Again, Jesus, there's another parable that unpacks this beautifully. But if you really want to know someone's true heart, someone's true character, see how they respond to people that can absolutely do nothing for them. Um, um, that's how you know who they really are. That's I, One of my practices is, man, like, like I try to learn everybody's name. I try to call everybody by their first name. You know, I don't call my waitress waitress. I call her Tiffany or I call him Mike, right? I want to know your name because saying someone's name brings dignity. You know, when we go to a restaurant, when I'm in line at Starbucks, when I'm going through a drive through my first question is typically, hey, what's your name, right? And if I have a little time, I'll ask, you know, what's your story? What do you love? What are you hoping for? I was just at a restaurant a couple of days ago and um, a group of us were sitting down to eat and um, this lady was waiting on us, um, and I said, hey, uh, what's your name? She told us her name, and I said, do you mind if I pray for you before we, before we have this meal and anything, anything we, could, we could pray about? And uh, uh, she was like, yeah, I actually just had my last cancer treatment. I said, are you serious? She's like, yeah, they told me I'm cancer-free, just like literally finished two days ago. I said, can we celebrate with you? And like at the restaurant, at the table, like, man, we held, we threw a party. Like we started celebrating her and it brought her so much joy and so much life. That took us two minutes. Took two minutes out of my lunch to do that, right? And, and in return, guess what I got from that? A free, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. No, we got, we got joy and we got honor and like, 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 like it was reciprocated. It was so good. Um, uh, yeah, so that's, that's where I've seen that practically play out in my life. The more respect and honor and love and kindness I show to people, uh, typically the more respect, honor, love, and kindness gets returned to me. Yeah, I, and I think one of the reasons why it's so hard to, to seize or demand that, that, that recognition is because we've been, it's been ingrained in our minds that if we don't go after it, we won't get it. Like if we're not demanding it, if we're not seizing it, if we're not taking the bull by the horns and wrestling to the ground, like we're not doing anything. And I think the ways of the kingdom and really the ways of the world should be the exact opposite. Um, man, you don't, you don't demand honor, you receive honor. Like honor demanded is like some Napoleon type stuff. Like honor and respect demanded is some Hitler type stuff which is why there's a lot of similarities to some of these, these YouTube personalities and, to the, and, and some of these dictators throughout the world, right, that are demanding respect and, and seizing respect and seizing honor. No, man, like, like respect is reciprocated. Honor is bestowed. Um, you know, it's just, it's just a different way of receiving it. And, and I think we hear from the world today, man, if you're not – you know, if you're not demanding honor, if you're not taking honor, if you're not, um, you know, demanding respect, if you're not, if you're not doing these things, and you're not, you're, you're, you're not a man. When, when it's the exact opposite. When, when I think about a stone cold killer, right? I don't think Jocko. I think, I think like James Bond, like the 007, that quiet confidence, bro. Like, you didn't know, James Bond never announced. I, I challenge you, go back and watch the films. 
James Bond never announced when he was walking into a room. It was always announced for him. People turned and noticed that's 007. That's James Bond, right? So, like, you want to get to that type of place. Like, I don't have to blow my own horn. Like, like I'm a man of such virtue and character that, that other people are going to blow the horn when I walk in the room. Like, that's what you want. Uh, not that horn blowing is bad. Don't hear me say that. No, man, blow the horn. Just have somebody else blow it in your honor. When you seize power, when you seize authority, um, when you demand to be heard and to demand to be respected, you know, um, only a couple of things will happen, right? One, somebody more powerful, somebody in a higher position will ultimately crush you. Uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, my dad didn't teach me much, but he did teach me there's always someone bigger, stronger, faster, better. Like as soon as you think you're the smartest guy in the room, you're going to find out real quick that you're not. As soon as you think you're the strongest guy in the room, you're going to find out real fast that you're not. So, so you have to be careful in seizing power and position because what, what tends to happen is somebody with actual power and position will come along and crush you. Um, Maybe worse is then when you're always seizing power and position, um, eventually everybody's going to abandon you. Uh, nobody's going to want to follow that guy. No one's going to want to be under his, his leadership. I think about Napoleon, right, um, who's going who's gonna to coronate himself as, as emperor of France, right? He's going to be the French dictator, basically. And back in those days, the pope, who was the highest figure in the land, the Pope would do the coronation. The Pope would be the one speaking from God, proclaiming you as king. So, so envision this. Napoleon and the Pope are on the stage. Napoleon's getting ready to be crowned king by the Pope. And, and this is history. Napoleon snatches the crown from the Pope and says, no, no, I'm going to coronate myself king. And, and immediately he alienates himself, not just not just from the Pope, from the whole entire Catholic Church, right? Um, uh, because he wanted to appoint himself king, right? Um, uh, super interesting. So, so one of two things will happen. You'll either be crushed by real power and authority or you're just going to end up alone because of the power and authority you seized or you claimed, no one ever gave to you and, and they'll not respect it. So that type of behavior, that look-at-me behavior, that um, it needs to be all about me behavior, that um, I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, and if there are no boots, I'm going to beat somebody up and take their boots. Like, like that attitude comes from a giant void in our life. You know, uh, We probably didn't get enough encouragement as a child, which, which would be my guess is his deal. Uh, probably didn't get towed. He was loved enough. He was valued, appreciated. You know, and there's this giant void that we act out of. Um, I always tell men, you know, we have these wounds, every one of us. Some of us are wounded more than others, right? Some of us walk with a limp, and some of us have been absolutely crippled, right? Um, but we all have these wounds, and, and these wounds, this pain, you can only deal with pain in one of two ways, right? Um, either something transforms that pain, and it becomes a positive, like it becomes a positive force in your life, or you transform that pain onto others. That's the only way you deal with pain. Pain does not lay dormant. It is either transformed or it is transferred onto others. And I think a lot of this misogynistic, kind of over-the-top macho attitude is, is untransformed pain. 
It's just pain they're transferring onto other people in different ways. And, and what is happening is it's doing more harm than good, way more harm than good. Um, you know, if Jocko was sitting here right now, I would ask him, dude, have you ever received a father's blessing? Like, have you ever heard your father say, um, I'm proud of you and I love you just the way you are? You know, my, uh, my nine-year-old son the other day told me he wanted a pair of running shoes, a new pair of running shoes. And we're looking at running shoes and he says, Dad, um, these shoes right here are going to make me faster. I just thought for a moment and I looked at him and I said, Son, you know what? I don't know if these shoes will make you faster or not. They probably won't. But I want you to know I love you just as fast as you are right now. Like if you never get any faster than you are right now, I just want you to know I love you. And it's okay, right? I think there are a lot of men that need to hear that. A lot of men that need to hear that. And they're acting out of a space where they haven't heard that. I was recently at a conference in Connecticut about 600 men in the room. And at the end of the, the talk, I just said, hey, I said, how many of you all have heard, you know, your father loves you? Um, how many of you had dads that, that had said, I'm proud of you? I said, if you, didn't, if you didn't have a dad say, I'm proud of you, or you, had, you didn't have a dad that said, son, I love you, could you just stand up? And I'm thinking, you know, maybe 30, 40, 50 of the men would stand up, you know, and I would say something kind to them and try to encourage them. If there were 600 men in the room, 580 of them stood up to the point where I was taken back on stage. I was just speechless. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that 95% that of the room had never heard, man, I love you and I'm proud of you. And uh, I think that's where a lot of this over-the-top machoism, misogynistic manliness is coming from. Um, guys like Jocko, guys like Jordan, uh, guys like Grant Cardone, I think they're just wounded little boys that um, that have gotten black belts and can deadlift. But 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 at the end of the day, they're 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 just wounded boys that 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 somewhere something hasn't been transformed. So now it's just being transferred, and and because of such, like they're trying to get as much attention as possible. You know, my dad didn't pay me enough attention. My mom didn't pay me enough attention. My coach didn't like me. Um, I was bullied in school, right? So now that that maybe I've got a little swagger, maybe I got a little wealth, maybe I got a little strength, like I'm going to put that on full display and I'm going to say, hey, look at me. Look what I've done. Look what I've become, right? But, but they're not comfortable with themselves. Um, uh, and they're certainly, if they were being super honest, they're not real happy with who they've become. That's really where it all begins is, is, man, we've got to, we've all got to be honest with ourselves. Like there's nothing wrong with wanting to do more and wanting to be more, wanting to achieve more, wanting to see more. Um, there's not on the surface, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Especially, especially if you have the right motives. Um, but at the same time, every one of us have limits and we have limits that are beyond our control. Like there's a lot of people that have environmental limits. Um, there are people born in sub-Sahara Africa that are not going to have the same access to things as others, right? And the answer to those people isn't, well, just try harder. Well, just work harder. Um, well, just learn a new sport. Like, like that's not the answer. There, there are some things that they will not be able to achieve because of the environment they lived in. Here's the deal. It doesn't make them less than. It doesn't make them... 
um, insignificant. Um, what it means is, hey, you've been given um, a situation in life. You've been given an environment. You've been given a place. Man, make the best of that. Make the best of that and just see what happens. Um, see what happens in the world when you do well with what you have. Um, there, there are some men, you know, and, and there's, no, there's no place worse than the church that we do this. Like we elevate certain positions. So the senior pastor or the teaching pastor is more important than the youth pastor. And the youth pastor is more important than the children's pastor. And the children's pastor is more important than the secretary, right? Well, the reality is they're all important. Like there are no titles and no positions in God's economy. Like God expects the secretary to do well. He expects the children's pastor to do well. He expects the teaching pastor to do well. And if they're faithful with what little they have or with what greatness they have, um, God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, you know. But in the world, it's the opposite. In the world, we value the, the CEO more than we value the janitor. Uh, and that's just wrong. Like, like in God's economy, that doesn't exist. As a matter of fact, I told a church this one time, you know the gospel has taken root in your church when a janitor can disciple a CEO and no one thinks differently about it. Like that's how you know the gospel's taken root. Because there is no, there is no hierarchy in, in, in God's economy, specifically like authoritative hierarchy or positional hierarchy uh, like there is in the West. Um, um, and, and so I think we get caught up in that stuff a lot. So, you know, if I'm not, um, if I'm not the store manager, I'm not enough. Well, then I become the store manager. Well, if I'm not the regional manager, I'm not enough. Well, then I become the regional manager. Well, if I'm not the national sales director, then I'm not enough. Then you become the national sales director. You know what? I really know more than the CEO. I should probably be the CEO. Like it never ends. It just never ends when you live in that constant perpetual cycle of do more, be more, say more, um, which goes back to our point. Uh, no, I'm saying like say less, you know, um, do less, be less, right? Just, just, just be faithful with what you have, and and let let others promote you. Let others acknowledge that. Let let others build you up. And and again, if if no one ever does, that's okay too, because because there is a God watching and rewarding every little faithful thing you say and do. But but be honest about where you are. Um, you know, don't follow your heart. Like, like that's terrible advice. That trust your heart. That's the worst thing anybody could ever say to anybody, right? The heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? The heart is infinitely selfish. Augustine said, we're all born, and I'm going to mess this up. It's some Latin phrase, curvatus inse, I think is what it is. And we're all born with this curve inward, pointing to us like it's all about us. And the whole of life is just bending this curve outward towards others. Like, that's what we want to do. We want to become otherly focused, not self-focused. I took my daughter to buy a lunchbox, a new lunchbox, a couple months ago. And she brought the lunch. We're in the store, and she brought the lunchbox back. And it was a purple lunchbox. It's fine. She's a little girl. Had a unicorn on it. I'm down with that. Unicorns are kind of cool. But then it, but then it said at the bottom of the lunchbox, uh, believe in yourself. And I said, honey, you've got to put that back. And she's like, daddy, why? And I said, well, it says believe in yourself. Who do we believe in? She's like, we believe in Jesus. And like she walked and put it back. Well, two women in the store like turn and scold me because of that. And I'm like, hey, listen, like we, we don't believe in ourselves. Like, like we believe in another. I had a, I had a young man, an 18-year-old man I'm, I'm mentoring. He's getting a tattoo. And I have no problems with tattoo. I have a ton of them. But he said, hey, I'm getting a tattoo. I said, cool, what are you getting? 
He said, um, he said, I'm getting a tattoo that says, live your truth. I said, bro, you're an idiot. He's like, why? I said, first of all, you're 18, and you have no idea what you believe. <laughs> I said, secondly, you're not living your truth. Like, you're living the truth of another. Like, get a tattoo that says, live King Jesus' truth. Like, that's the truth you want to live, not your truth. Like, you want to live his truth. You want to be in his will, following his word. And um, you can see the light bulb start to go off in his mind. Um, I think he still got the tattoo, though. I don't know. But um, uh, that's that. That's that understanding who we are, knowing, knowing our limits, right? We're, we're not the creator. We're the creatures, and, and, and there is a creator, right? The, the Lego mindset, the Lego mentality of life is wrong, right? You're only limited by your imagination. That's not true. You're limited by your gender. You're limited by your age. You're limited by uh, sometimes where you're born, um, you're limited by your mental capacity. You're limited by your physical capacity. Like we all have limits. The problem is we live in a world that assigns values to certain limits, like that honors and dishonors certain limits, which is these are all social constructs. That's where it gets terrible. Um, uh, my encouragement would be, no, just be faithful with what you have and see what happens. So, so if you're in this position where you're saying, hey, you know, I don't want to make it about me, but at the same time, I don't want to be complacent. Like, what do I do? So my, my encouragement to you is, is be, be faithful right where you are. Um, if you're a dishwasher, man, be the best dishwasher on shift tonight. If you're a, a security guard, be the most meticulous, prompt, security guard on shift tonight. If you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're a personal trainer, if you're a chef, if you're an Uber driver, I don't care what it is, like go above and beyond in, in honoring others, making it about them, and be the strive to be the very best at whatever it is you do. And 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 here's 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 what's super helpful. Do it without expecting anything in return. Do it without expecting anything in return because then you won't live in a constant state of disappointment. So, so I remember the first time I was asked to speak somewhere that I was being paid an honorarium. It's crazy uh, that people would actually pay me to come talk, right? So um, I'm, at this, I'm at this smaller venue. It's a smaller church, and I speak, and when I'm leaving, they give me an honorarium. I get to my car, and I open the honorarium, and it's, it's significant, like significant. I'm shocked at how much money they paid me, okay? So fast forward a few weeks, I'm speaking at an event, I'm speaking at a church, and it's 10 times the size of the one I was just at. So immediately I was thinking, bro, I'm going to buy a boat with this honorarium. Like I can't wait to get this next one. It's going to be 10 times the size of the one I just got. I get done speaking at the event, I open the honorarium, and it's not even a fourth. It's not even a tenth of what the other place paid me. And I remember being so disappointed. But then I just felt um, what I think was the Holy Spirit that basically said, hey, Chris, do you love doing this? Yeah. I mean, are you good at this? Yeah. Like, do you want to advance the kingdom? Yeah. Then what does it matter what you get paid? Basically, would you do this for free? And, and from that day on, man, like I've never had an expectation about an honorarium. 
Like if somebody gives me something great, if they don't, great. Like I'm not here. I'm not here to advance my kingdom or make my life better or more comfortable. Like, like I'm here for a mission and a purpose. So like whatever you do, do it to the best of your ability and don't necessarily expect anything in return. Be happy. Be, be grateful you get a chance to exercise your skills and be, and be happy with the fact that you can go to sleep at night knowing, man, I did a good job, whether anybody acknowledged it or not. I did a good job. I spent the most of my life just seizing opportunities. Um, as a matter of fact, I have a tattoo across my back that I got in college. Uh, it's a scroll that opens up that says Carpe Diem, literally seize the day. Like that's tattooed on me. <laughs> so so I, I was always one to quick to seize every opportunity. And, and typically the opportunities I seized, um, they didn't work out in my, uh, in my favor and they didn't work out in the favor of others. Right, and it it even happened with um, um, recently with 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 a prominent church position, you know, a position like Mars Hill, uh, where I had an opportunity again to uh, uh, to seize it and and go manufacture something, go muster something up, go um, go build a bigger platform, and and it was by the grace of God that that I didn't do that. I just I just came to a point in my life where I stopped chasing after it and just allowed it to come to me. And, and it's amazing, once I allowed it to start coming to me, right? Um, I didn't have to walk into a room and announce, uh, Dr. Chris Harper is here. Uh, I didn't have to walk into a room and announce, oh, uh, mega pastor, uh, mega church pastor Chris Harper is here. I didn't have to walk into a room and announce, oh, um, you know, fifth degree black belt. I don't have a black belt, but fifth degree black belt and and you know this and that and just always reading my resume always having my resume read like like when i stopped doing that um it was amazing the things that just started coming to me uh the kindness and the honor and the respect and even the job opportunities that came once i stopped promoting myself and 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 i think a lot of young men today a lot of men today you you would find the same to be true for you like if you would just stop talking Start listening. Start showing people honor. Uh, start being kind. The world of possibilities would open up to you.